Blessed be Tree Family. This is Rev JC coming at you with the the restart whenever the timeline is, day, night, afternoon, midnight, whenever it is that you're coming to us. We appreciate you. We understand that life has its difficulties, technical difficulties as well, as uh, we've all embraced from here and there. Um, with that, we try to be mindful of the international audience that we represent with love and respect and give you both sides of a point of view here. So some of the things that uh, we're going to be addressing is the standardization of citizenship. You know, we have an oath of allegiance that we do for people who are becoming citizens. What does that mean? We have requirements for citizens. What does that mean? And uh, I'm thankful to have uh, TCAST from the 10-8 podcast joining us. Uh, hopefully our, our technical difficulties are over for the time being and uh, we can share a little bit of information here and there. But I'm going to try and keep it brief this evening cover a lot of information and try not to go too many rabbit trails and anything and everything you want to interject or ask a question about feel free and i appreciate your input thank you brother i appreciate you having me on again <laughs> right on so um one of the things that i wanted to start with is a lot of people are maybe unaware because they were born into citizenship here in the United States. They may not understand the allegiance oath or anything to that nature. I know we all that went to school here, we would state a, a pledge of allegiance, right? We would all have this pledge that we would do to the flag and everybody can almost verbatim a hand over the heart, cite the, cite the pledge by now as an adult. Um, yes, sir. Understandably. So when you're first becoming a citizen, of the United States, they have what's called an oath of allegiance. And it's a little bit different instead of to the Republic for which I stand, all of that, they make you swear an oath to protect the constitution from enemies, foreign and the domestic, strangely enough. Right. Um, so there's this basis of, you know, the, the full comprehension of that. And I, I'd like to read it just so that people have context to what I'm saying. Please, be please do. So what it is, it states like this, the full oath of the allegiance of the United States. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or of which I have herein throw or herein for, excuse me, been a subject or citizen that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I, am a, uh, I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work Did you cut out or did I cut out? I think I'm cutting out because I, I can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. That was weird. You can hear any of that that I was reading? Uh, no, I heard most of it, and then uh, it was the last little, probably about 15 seconds that cut out. It was weird. Okay. So let me, let me get the last 15 seconds of that real quick. Let's see here. Can you hear me now? All is well? Yep. Got okay. you. 
And so it says, I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I will make I will take this obligation freely without any mental reservations or purpose of evasion so help me god so here is a pledge that we make foreign nationals take to become citizens what does that remind you of just as far as you know besides the the show 24 or any of these other things that you see ncis and these other shows where they have domestic terrorists that have come into this country and they're they're trying to cause bombs and havoc and then they decide that they don't want to do that anymore they want to become citizens so they make them go through the citizenship and swear an oath why is this oath important this is the question that we have to ask ourselves firstly and uh you can hear me okay i'm, I'm just making sure no 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 you're good yeah it's going through okay okay so one of the things that this means is in many of religious cultures throughout the world if you're giving an oath it's the equivalent to making a swear or a, a, an allegiance. It's basically saying that you're no longer just you. You're connected to the allegiance of. And in our case, we make it the Constitution and the laws thereof. So it's not the people, the service of the people. It's the Constitution and the laws thereof that we make people swear oaths to. But then at the very end, we add in that concept of God. So help me God. Right. And so here's yeah. the thing. They allow people to amend the name of God to be different depending on whatever uh, belief system you have. But basically, the concept is, is the same, that they're using your faith and allegiance that you hold in, in your own moral compass to do service in the military as far as to bear arms on behalf of if we needed to or to be non-combatant if we needed to somebody to serve in their intellectual rights or skill sets or in the civilian nature. So they're basically saying, what do you have to provide to the United States to become a citizen? So there has to be a benefit for you being here, which is where we get concepts like work visas, temporary visas. They're coming to learn a skill or a trade or they're coming because they have a skill or a trade and they're starting the process of a possible citizenship. Now, there's requirements to that, which I'll touch on here in a couple moments. But the reason why this is important is we're also making sure that they have a certain age, a certain aptitude. If they're male, I believe one of the requirements is that they also register to uh, be part of the draft as far as to, to fight in the armed services. So can you imagine from the concept of, OK, you're you're coming from another tribal people from around the world. You decide you want to come as a refugee to America. You're a non-combatant. You, you've never fired a weapon in your entire life. Let's say you're of some clerical clergy skill set. You're really good with people helping, you know, day-to-day -day humanitarian aid. In that case, you'll provide those services either to the armed forces, around the services of civilians, or they'll adapt what it is. But basically you have to be showing some kind of a skill trade or action. It's not stagnant people that they're looking for to become citizens. That's abundantly clear. So we, this, this mentality that refugees 
are coming here to seek asylum or to seek, you know, uh, sanctuary. There's a little bit of that, but the majority of it is directly related to what they already are offering. For instance, if a foreign power is in control of a country and he's saying, look, I will give you guys my natural resources if you'll make sure my people stay safe here, take them with you, take them to your country, keep them protected. Here's my family. Take care of my family. Now you have a leveraging thing. This is a very common thing that happens with politics and governmental officials is where they would give their relatives, usually nephews, sons, someone in a distant relation to another country in order to establish a treaty of, of peace. Okay. And so in order to keep the peace, they would have someone in their family that would have a bloodline connection. They would have somebody to basically leverage upon the family if something went wrong or if they broke their word. So here's the underlying tone of citizenship is if you had that allegiance to this other country, right, this other potentate, this other dictator, this other king, whatever the case may be. Notice that they didn't say queen anywhere in there. They just said prince, but potentate and these other de declarations they did make mention of. And so when these people are brought into the state side of things, they're brought into it from the perspective of renouncing where they came from. So in most cases, they'll get education. They'll get citizenship training. They'll get linguistics. They'll get a skill trade, maybe a university scholarship, some kind of a way for us to establish the relation of you gave us your your loved one will endow them with these awesome abilities, which would be in language to help us communicate with you, which would be in skills and trades that you can you know, use here stateside or take back to your country as necessary. But basically, it's the building up of infrastructure. It's the building up of society. And we're a culture that originally started in a melting pot mentality of if you can get here, we've got work for you now. Of course, we had immigrants that came into the East Coast, and it took them longer to colonize the Central of America. That took them longer to get all the way to the West Coast. So there's these other issues of um, spreading across the country, the railroad, all of the timeline of the, the technological advancements of citizenship and what that meant. If you were coming over in the, in the railroad timeline, and you were from an Asiatic culture or um, you know what I would say Chinese or anything to that nature – they would put you in direct workshop uh, for skilled trade labor. And so there was kind of like colonies that would work on the railroads. There was colonies that would work around the services of the railroads. There was this mentality of when you brought people here, it was for a workforce. So we had this basic culture brought into America. First, we were a, a, a hemp colony. And it's important for people to, to know Henry Edward Mary Philip Elizabeth is the acronym for the Tudor dynasty, also with Mary married to Philip. You know, Philip is in there as the P. So this Tudor dynasty acronym of King uh, James and the establishment of, of the Washington, D.C., which we have today, which they call the Jamestown colony, then the Virginia colonies. So there's this trade route going on. So when we got here, they said, well, you know, we've got all of these Irish that we would love to bring over and bring, make uh, colonial participants or will colonize uh, America with the Irish immigrants. And they would take these orphans to be the workforce, but they would also take the special skill trade, trade laborers in Ireland that were textile manufacturers for the hemp industry. They needed uh, clothing. They needed uh, the ability to turn the fiber into fabrics for sales and 
be able to make riggings for rope. And so this was where uh, the colony of the British Empire was at once empowering themselves with the Irish. And so they said, well, let's make America, which has more land instead of that wet, marshy, you know, dirty, like really rocky soil that they're using in Ireland, which, you know, hemp grows okay there. But imagine if they had the, the seasons that they have in, in America versus what they have in England and Ireland, excuse me. And so this colonial mindset that we were founded with was to bring people over for an agrarian society built around an international trading ability. So it's, it's kind of one of those things that we've progressed as, you know, obviously we've gone through our own restructuring. We've gone through our own like refounding uh, of this country to be what it is today. We had the Articles of Confederation, which we learned from the Iroquois Confederation, which was all of the uh, upper uh, Northeast uh, tribal communities that, you know, the Mohawk tribes and all of that. They would all sit down in these longhouses and these longhouses was where they would do their ceremonial uh, aspects of society, uh, consume um, tobacco and other things. And then what would happen is they would decide upon laws. They would decide upon borders. They would decide upon trade routes. They'd also pick who was going to marry into what tribe and how they were going to keep their people going the way that they would. So this was not just an agrarian society. It was a tribal connection. It was a tribal democracy. As far as what it was originally was called confederacy, which is basically we're going to confederate. In other words, all of us together will make our individual state, you know, tribal communities declarations. We'll all decide as a group what is the best for the group. And then in so doing, you still have the power to, to decide what you're going to do in your tribal nation. But we've all agreed upon these general terms. And so during the colonial aspects of early America, they translated the, the Vulgate Bible or the Italianized uh, Septuagint Bible um, to the Algonquin tribe. The Algonquin tribe became the baseline language for colonial expansion to the tribal communities. Why is all this important? Because early citizenship was directly related to an oath of office on the Bible. So God and its allegiance and its mentality was always directly dictated upon oh, well, we're in a different pedigree, different bloodline. We, we have this allegiance to Jesus as to the Church of England and its impotentate in, in, in power of taxation through tithing at that time. And you had tribal networks that were saying, well, I'm, I'm a king. Why can't I be, uh, instead of he's King James, I'll be James King. My last name can be King because that's how we speak about it is, the chief is the last thing you say instead of the first thing you say because it's more of a service mentality and everything. So they had literal progeny that was named uh, James King in the Algonquin tribes. They had a Bible that was translated into their language. They were building an infrastructure of culture, and they were doing this in a way of saying that this was making them part of the colony, part of the citizenship. So there's an adaptation of thought here to take your allegiance from your natural order, your existing tribal mentality, whatever that may be, and then attribute it towards the not just the conquering tribe that is coming in, but the confederacy, the mentality of us sitting together and figuring out these concepts. So what we did as a country over time is we adapted the best strategies to do this, which instead of you having to go through and translating your whole language into the Bible and going vice versa and teaching you all of English by way of the Algonquin translating Bible, what we're going to do instead is we're going to have an oath. 
And this oath is basically going to be upon your belief in the creator, the God that you love and serve. And this is going to dictate your moral code to your allegiance. So it's not based upon anything other than now, if you violate your own code, it's a punishable offense. You know that you've done wrong, so now we can punish you for agreeing that we're now in superiority, we're now in allegiance, we're now in, uh, in a structure that is allowing you to do this. And so one of the things that I want to talk about next is not only this, this consistency of how this is done internationally, but the requirements that we, we put on people here in the States. Just one second while I pull up this data for you. So the requirements for citizenship are in order to become a U.S. citizen, all uh, naturalization applicants must meet the following requirements. Be at least 18, continuous and physically live in the United States as or green, green card holder for a certain number of years, establish residency in the state or U.S. citizenship through the uh, uh, immigration services and apply there, have good moral character. Now, this is the part that leaves open, open-ended areas. Be proficient in basic spoken and written English and demonstrate knowledge of U.S. history and government and register for military service. And you must swear an allegiance to the United States. What that fancy oath actually is doing is creating a subculture within your own mind that you now put your belief in God as your guiding light to your allegiance to the country. So in one way... It's taking your moral aptitude and, and your own discerning abilities and then attributing your belief system to self-judging. So with that, here, here is the, the give and the take, the push and the pull of standardizing citizenship. You saw that there was a military allegiance. You saw that there was basically dictating that the Constitution and the laws would supersede. It doesn't say to the people. It says to the Constitution in the United States, the laws of the United States. So... Those laws can be amended, can be changed. If you are found guilty of a crime, you are no longer considered the same as a normal uh, person as far as a citizen. You can now be put into uh, slavery terms. You can now be in slave labor. You can now be done in this way. And this is one of our amendments in our Constitution. This is one of our laws. So the reason why I'm addressing this is because of there's an ignorance to the entire structure that is the United States Constitution and laws, because most of it's not taught, it's given a surfacey U.S. history example. It's given this uh, compounding thing. You have people that are now being raised without civics, without social studies, without an understanding of what it means to be a citizen, what the moral code or ethics is supposed to be, because they're not based around a religious community. And I mean that with solidarity. You can be moral without being raised in in those kind of, it depends upon your upbringing, it totally depends upon your own personal, inter, interpersonal skills of how you're able to listen and adapt to a situation. But ideally, what I am saying is that there is an underlying factor here of your moral ethics are part of the character references for you to become a citizen. And so since moral ethics is now uh, a shifting sand of society, which we have wokeism. We have literally people who are joining the military after, I don't know if you've seen this, but the military has put out uh, an Emma, I believe it's their name, uh, campaign for joining the army. And it's all about how being so aware. And so, and it's got over 200,000 dislikes. Yeah. You showed me that actually earlier today, dude. That's pretty insane. 
And and this is the new ideals for people who are going to represent the constitution of our government is basically people who have eroded their concepts of what it means to be national citizens, what it means to be in this. To now that you have people who are in these positions that understand concepts briefly, maritime law, what is martial law, what is the War Powers Act. There's all of these what ifs that basically the flag that's flying on their arm the battle flag okay it's a flag that's in reverse because it's supposed to mean that you're charging into battle and your flag is being carried forward onto the battlefield which is why it's waving the opposite direction the interesting thing about that is it's also got a gold rim around it which means it's maritime law which basically comes down to a factor of we're not acting as the united states we're acting as the nato military force that's enforcing the monopoly arm of the united nations by way of the british army British monarchy. And so without me getting too deep into all of this, if they say something like martial law, but they don't understand that the Confederacy that we started with was the original good guys before they tainted our history with this concept of slavery being so epidemic. You know how many people who were slaves who were given freedom and served? There's so many people that wasn't just about slavery. It was about the fact that each state could print its own money. It could mandate its own ability to tariff and tax that means that the british empire was very upset because they only had the port in virginia which is what we now call dc you know that whole region is jamestown's colony that's why we're still under dc dc is jamestown virginia it's the original colonies of of the hemp uh, colonization that happened here in the states and we've been repatriated several times now war of 1812 where they burned our original library of congress put us back under this stuff so now you're in a maritime trade which is a fancy way of saying of the captains of the ship the admiralty law so in violation to the constitution you're having people who have gotten an honorary title of nobility which is an esquire that are representative government now of course, that's up for debate because the majority of our professional uh, senators and all like that are also lawyers. And as a lawyer, you go to the international bar and you have to swear an oath to it there as well. And that oath is that you'll uphold it to the best of your ability. That does not mean that that oath supersedes your citizenship. But guess what? Is it a violation of our oath of allegiance to citizenship to uphold and remember what they're telling us to uphold it to, the Constitution and the laws of the United States. Not the people, not to do what's right, but the laws and the Constitution. So this is all based around precepts of things that are allowing you to, to basically swear an oath of allegiance to something that could very easily shift in sand to another point of view and add an amendment or add a new legislation or add an executive order. And in so doing, you're actually being forced into a position to where it would not surprise me that they're going to ma make it mandatory for people who are of a certain age to take part in military activity. Because while you're in the military, I don't know if you're conscious of this, but there's a lot of this vaccine conversation going on recently. And I try my best to stay out of that, even though it comes up because it's necessary because of freedom and discussing what freedom is versus brainwashing and researching and all of that. So when these things come up with a an oath that you have to make of service when you sign that paper that you are now going to be serving nato or excuse me the armed forces the way that you will be then what you're actually saying is that you're voluntarily enlisting your body in service to 
the science that they decide to put upon you, whatever injections they want to test on you. This has gone back since the War of 1812. This has gone on all the way through, excuse me, um, the Spanish War. All, all of these trials of, you know, everything from giving tainted blankets to native tribal communities or giving inoculations and testing the new flu vi virus, the new hepatitis. All of these different things are tested on our military. And so there's an issue here that we have to where that you no longer have a say as a voluntary consent, like voluntary consent basically is saying, I would like to know what's in here. Well, you don't know what's in here and you don't need to know. Matter of fact, because we own you, it doesn't matter. So let's go ahead and try it on you. We'll, we'll give you a lifetime insurance as long as you took part in this. That's basically what VA care comes down to. And you have to excuse me for being crude and getting right to the point, but it's important for people to know in their mindset that if these mandatory aspects of standardizing citizenship change to where it's a forced military venture, much like other countries have done, uh, for instance, Switzerland has a mandatory uh, service. And also, I believe Israel makes it to where you have to serve for at least two years. And that's all to become a citizen of that country. So this isn't foreign to the to the world. It's foreign to us here in the United States who we still rely on the National Guard or the, the, the facet of the militia that's been absolved into the federal government to become the National Guard. That was never the intention. Militia has always been citizen-owned and citizen-ran because the imperialism of foreign dictatorships that can take over our government have always been a threat, which is why we have a Second Amendment to begin with. But the fact that they're making you make an oath as a foreigner who's coming into this country that you're going to swear to the Constitution, you're going to swear to the laws, you're going to swear to be a combatant or a non-combatant if you choose to be that way, or a citizen to the laws. You're agreeing to the laws. So the fact is, we're going to give you just enough information to make you say, oh, yes, I agree to it. And then we're not going to tell you what you're agreeing to. And those laws can change at any time as we choose to. And now you're a citizen. Guess what that is? That's a roulette wheel just waiting for somebody to encroach upon your freedom and then impose a foreigner who has no idea who or what your laws actually are, but is told under the breach of their own oath of contract, hey, here's, here's what I want you to do. You're following orders. Well, that's how they moved entire tribes and communications to commit uh, genocide upon each other. And in international relations, it's not uncommon for people to see an uprising in, in their own folks that are brought back from other countries, they, they don't have a foundational respect for our culture, our laws, don't even know them, don't even have a great handle of our English language, and yet their citizenship is granted because it's a financial measure. The financial measure is usually a trust relationship with these other countries, these other nationalities, but here's what I have discovered to be a common factor. They have the ability to charge on behalf of those people. So when they house them, when they, fr they provide them aid, when they provide them, wherever they're located, and they could have been at multiple locations throughout the year, but they're still being charged a per diem, a, a rate of pay for them being taken care of, their livelihood. So each state or each government or municipality that is aiding these foreigners to have safety and all of these skills that we provide from our, our own country, we give them those benefits. And then in so doing, we're instilling in them the, the, the birthright, I guess you could say, of a citizen here. And that respect factor is not earned. 
it may be in some of the cases, but in most of the cases, they don't really have a respect factor for what they're even given because the financial institutions that are all surrounding this from a corporate sense are just using them to print money to give aid to them. Even if they are not giving them the entirety of that aid, there's still costs, there's administration, there's all of those things that are padded in the budgets around taking care of foreign nationals. So here's the underlying tone of what I'm saying. It's the military can be used against you as soon as you're under a standardization of citizenship to be, you know, involuntary required, excuse me, I won't say involuntary, you're required if you want to be a citizen to take part in the, uh, the armed forces. Or if you don't want to be a combatant, then you're required to serve them. And if you don't want to be part of that, then you have to uh, be required to the civilian structure. But you have to do something to benefit the country. So what about all of these orphans and widows and all these people that are being brought into the country? They don't really have any abilities that they're granting to our nation. So they have to have some kind of a cost benefit for them to be providing them services. It's not just out of the kindness of their hearts. There's got to be these international treaties, these allegiances. This is family members that are being leveraged in other countries. This is how the term Al-Qaeda, in my mind, works, is that this is the database of the relatives that they know are leveraged to these people that they can make do things in other countries. That's what we do. We put them into a protective area, which is a fancy way of saying internment or controlled or whatever camp structure. We make sure that they're monitored and controlled to where that they're not able to communicate with their loved ones. And if they are, they're under close you know, supervision. And in so doing, we're leveraging the asset in another country to do our bidding. So underlying tone of standardization of citizenship, is it a business process? Absolutely. Do we need to be aware of this? Absolutely. What does it mean? What are the ramifications of that? So with that, I know we're getting close on 30 minutes here. Is there anything that you wanted to uh, to to bring forward or, or talk no, about? Bro, I, I am I am just listening in. I'm getting great information on this one. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. I don't I don't want to uh, overwhelm everybody. I just wanted to make them think about these concepts that when you make that correlation to becoming a citizenship. And I know it's a it's a I think decision. it's just a. I, to give them a shout out on the understanding that like this is all there for them to go research themselves, you know, like you just got to drop that seed, which is understandably what you're doing right now. You know, like that was a lot of information for sure. Um, And it's kind of cool because I do have a couple of friends that have recently gotten citizenship, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of an interesting concept to now hear uh, those aspects about it, you know? Right on. I mean, you, we don't actually think about it, but they're swearing an oath not to protect our country, but our constitution. And that's enemies, foreign and domestic and the laws of the land. And so they're not they're They're basically putting their God as the guide for our laws. Just in concept there. So if they tell them that this is the law of the land, we want you to go do that. It's very easy to get somebody who wasn't raised. Well, with I think the we understanding were. of what you were saying, though, is that it can change and mm-hmm. it can be at one set particular aspect that, uh, you know, any given time. And then it can change to something completely different. But regardless right. of how you feel about the change, it's just still the oath that you signed up for that still have to under, you know, you still have to abide. Yeah. by. Yeah. And and that's what I was getting at was the the carte blanche that it were. Uh, I mean, basically, if if we add an amendment or a law or even a municipality and we enforce that, 
then they have to agree to that because those are the terms of their citizenship. So leveraging people is important to understand because it's also saying to you at any time that this person that's in this other country, let's use, let's use this uh, garbage going on in Afghanistan right now. Okay. We have people there that are still operatives. You cannot tell me that we left that country without our people somewhere infiltrated in their structure. Somewhere in there, we have assets still in that country. They may That's be citizens. Sure. That, that is that, it for yeah. sure. There's no way. There's no yeah. way. So with that, let's say that there's just, and I'm only going to make one dignitary as an example. I'm sure there's. I want to. I, I want to call some. I want to call some BS out here real quick though, too, <laughs> because I know. I know. I've been kind of quiet here. I'm going to bring my little bit of sideness into this a little bit, but. You know, these press briefings are, are ridiculous, okay? Um, when they state the fact of, you know, we're going to get every American that wants to get out. Who the hell doesn't want to get the heck out right now? So, you, like, you're, don't, you're, give you're, me, don't give me your lawyer. Uh, well, if we leave them behind, it's because they didn't hit us up, and it's not our fault. It's their fault. Don't, don't give me that crap. It's, no. it's interesting that you bring that point up because I, I just want to th- – throw this out there for you too is now take into consideration that that asset that dignitary that local the militia leader for wherever they're at in that region it doesn't matter who it is just whoever it is that's in your mind they have family the u.s government says i will take your wife your daughters your your sons to america and protect them as long as you do what i tell you to do and then they leave and they're got, they get them on a plane and they fly them out. So now, can this person who is still there in this country under a military you know, opposition to our country technically and has to then assimilate into the new structure that's going on, are they going to align with our policies and what we tell them to do? That's what, that's what I'm trying to say. That the contact of war here is don't lose sight that's- of the fact that's that, very interesting because, I mean, that's kind of a jumble. Who knows at that point? You know what I mean? Kind of had yeah. everything ripped. And, uh, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole there, too. I mean, at that point, you're 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 going to do whatever, you know? Well, this is why it ties back in is if we're saying we're going to give them citizenship. This is our guarantee. If you do what we need you to do while we're there and make sure our will is done – we're going to leave you this military supply surplus. Here's, you know, these assets and millions of dollars we have in this vault and this location. Here's the access codes. Here's all the stuff that you need in your dossier and folder. Here's your point of contact. Here's the cell phone you need. Everything set up. We had 20 years to align these different operatives. So I'm not saying that there's not some of this still going on, but you do not make any money as, an, as a world bank in times of peace. So there has to be a way to move these funds and these assets for people to do that. And it's always with war. It's always with these um, scare tactics of death and destruction because munitions and all these kind of things. You, you also can't tell me that all of those resources that we left in Afghanistan weren't partitioned off for some black market operative or some government agency to then sell to other government agencies throughout the world because, hey, here's the, it's a used car parking lot deal. Come on, we just left Afghanistan. Do you want a Black Hawk? Do you want this? Dude, I wouldn't even say a used parking lot. That was a freaking fire sale. 
Well, that was like is, a that was like a common pickup, dude. Like, hey, yo, well, just, uh, leave leave the bag where the helicopter was, and we'd be good. They represented <laughs> around. I mean, it's in the billions. I think it's like eighty-five. You know. Oh no, for sure, for sure. In resources, so the contingency plan that I was addressing was standardizing citizenship for the people coming in, makes it a leverageable asset for the people staying there, and then that communication because now we control them talking to their loved ones we control their only connection to to their loved ones anymore is through us so imagine they took your your woman and your daughter or your son or whatever and they said we're going to give them citizenship in the states but you can only talk to them when our agent is present when they tell you okay we need you to do this and then this okay here's your loved one and they talk for five minutes. They talk to the lo- little kids for five minutes, and then they put the agent back on. So are we understanding that you need to go ahead and do what I told you to do? You want to talk to them ever again, you got to make that decision right then and there. Yeah, it's just literally like out of any, mo- out of any movie you normally see, dude. You know what I mean? Well, it it is, but I'm I'm just trying to draw. No, no, no. But it makes point. it makes a legit sense, though. It, it's more of the you know movies are made off of uh you know already understood plots and understood understandings. You know what I mean? Movies are well recreations most, most of things films, that are already yeah. going on. So it makes yeah. sense to the understanding of how they would get that so crazy idea to maybe put it in a movie. You know what I mean? Um, it's de- it's like it's definitely the United Nations, the the World Bank, all of those folks fund film ventures, not just for the advertisement value of film in general for going and joining military occupations and wars and all like that, but it's also propaganda. And so one of the things that I was just trying my best to you know say without being so explicit is you have love being leveraged, and this is not just with these foreign nationals. And this is the part that I want to address, too, is I have respect for those that have served our country. And I have respect for the people who've sacrificed not only their lives, their livelihood, their time, their energy away from their loved ones for, you know, protecting freedom, protecting the Constitution. And I get what they're saying because that oath still applies to them. But here's the detail I want to attribute to all of this. You know, there's that movie Green Mile. And he's held on jail and they find out that he didn't do it, that there was another guy that actually killed the, the girls and he was trying to heal him and he couldn't. And he, he tells a very brief thing about they, the killer used their love to keep them quiet. They used their love against them. So when we go into these objectivity situations, like in a military sense, when they're going through boot camp and they're building the camaraderie of uh, one another and, and brotherhood and, and sisters and all that, that that are in combat as well together. You have this cohesive like connection. You have family and the love and the solidarity is there. So you're not necessarily even fighting for something back home like you originally may have signed up for. You're fighting to protect those around you with love. And so when they're saying, OK, everybody out, they're saying, let's leave. We're understanding that from the point of view, oh, great, our troops are coming home. But what you also don't see is the contextual element of they've still got to go somewhere. That solidarity and that time that's spent is still beneficial, even though it's not validated by anything, because obviously that wasn't the structure that they were looking for. Thirteen people have died, but we don't know how many other people have died that were 
operatives or citizens or things of that nature that we had already left over there as assets. So there's even underlying tones of, you know, imagine these troops are over there and they've also fallen for this, this local, it happens. So when you deal with these different things, they, they have a structure that kind of overlaps in so many different ways to where that marriage and citizenship and military, they all kind of like melting pot towards your oath of your personal moral code and your ethics. And it's directly tied to love and respect. But at the same time, if you look at it from the perspective of leverage, right? What are they actually saying? Is I don't want the guy or the gal beside me who's shooting right beside me, the same enemy that I'm shooting at that's protecting me to fall in battle. So I'm protecting them too. So they use the solidarity of love and respect in the military to fight our force. That's what makes us so uh, formidable. It's not just our technological advancements. It's that our mentality as a group is so uh you know, conjoined in, in, in our vision of protecting one another and brotherhood and love, we use our love to attack and destroy people who don't have the same respect for our people. So there's this little pod mentality, you know, where you have like a, a, a group who's in a certain, you know, I don't want to call them brigade or certain party. And when they're doing what they're doing, they're doing it for the people around them at that time, just to protect those loved ones that are close. Yeah, they're protecting freedom back home and constitution and they gave that oath but realistically this is about protecting those around you that you love and so that leverage is still used as a controlling agent for you know these oaths of citizenship so thinking about that can you imagine from the point of view of a soldier who's just devoted the past seven ten years of their life to afghanistan and just seeing everything be handed over and basically they're told no you can't have any of that but why that's the question they've all got to be asking. Why do we go over here and do this? Was it the opium that we were protecting? Was it the trade? Was it the empowering these, these military forces? And so they left us these huge military encampment reserves, trucks, you know, everything, weapons, all of that stuff for them just to be taken over and then possibly used against us. Does this not sound like the Cold War, exactly what they did with Russia? Russia left all of their stuff so that the, that, uh, the Afghans could find off, fight off China. <laughs> and then we came in and we're like, we'll, we'll protect you from Russia. And so the whole time we've been constantly at war in this region, it's never been conquered. And it's always been a region that's highly uh, productive as its agrarian society contributes to the world's opium supply. It contributes to the world's cannabis supply. So as a vision of hope to all of this, all I can see is now that those troops that were there that have learned how to protect these things, have learned how to do these things, are coming back to the United States to now use those same tactics that they use there to allow us to do cultivations here in the States. And it seems to be that the contract for those things has now been able to, because of the isolations of everything in our environment that's happened with this medical uh, issue has now allowed it to where the military coming back to the United States would be able to impose borders and, and camps and regions and do the same thing in occupation that they were doing in other countries here in the United States. That's just my correlating, you know, hypothesis. What do you think about that? Bro, that is, uh, that is very, I mean, uh, the one thing that I could, if anything that popped into my head in this this conversation or this last little bit of conversation is 
um, you know, with all the things going on in Afghanistan and stuff, you know, you know, you said, you know, we fight with love and, and I totally understand what you're saying too. You know, they make, they make that, um, understanding and I get that battle buddy mentality, I guess you could say of what you're, you know, trying to correlate, but when you look at like, you know, the Taliban and there's been total, you know, there's been all kinds of conversation, there's been interviews, there's been all kinds of stuff that's released, but like their understanding is almost from the sense of, you know, it's not necessarily love, but it's also the understanding of like all for one ideal, you know, mm. it might not be love, but they all are fighting for the same understand, or, you know, the same, um, you know, when you say, you know, when you say love, you know, I, I, it's like I said, I'm not trying to say anything yeah, no, or any, but, no, but, you, you but know, it, I got what it's saying. the same, like they're using the idealistic of all the same concept. It's the one umbrella for them as well as what mm -hmm. they teach you know, the United States military is, you know, it's, it's more of a love thing, you know, battle buddies, the whole group, you know, no one left behind type of aspect, you know, where you got suicide bombers, you know, on the other hand, doing it in the same idealistic of how they would comprehend of for the same shit for, let's for, keep, for let's their keep love, in mind for their, for their, yeah. you know, ide ideologies, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, um, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to say is like, you know, it's, it's yeah, well, crazy you, that there's. You're absolutely it's right. All, okay. Yeah, that, that's kind of the only thing that I was, you know, thinking about in that last little bit of conversation was like, um, I, I, I don't guess wanna... what it really all comes down to in my eye, uh, my eyes and my my personal opinion on this would be, uh, you know, the conditioning. It's the conditioning that people go through either growing up or put through uh, to make their mentality a certain a certain way to think a certain way to either take a certain way trigger a certain way uh you know what i mean mm -hmm. um that's the only totally. thing that i could think that was the correlation between those two idealistics you know or yeah and i i'm i'm hearing you and i'm also giving an echo on some of the suicide bomber stuff that i've been researching culturally what they do to these i young, wouldn't even say this just necessarily in the aspect i mean to just say the suicide no bomber, you're right that's touchy but, but in the sense of you know it's this it's it's, all the same i i they, understanding for the their ideals you know mm -hmm. they definitely instill and empower them and create a society to where that they're honored beforehand uh, there's all of those other things. And I don't want it to, to be anything more than this. Like when we were attacked, concept, finger, air quotes, 9-11, the whole nation was like, I guess we're going to war. It was just a given, right? And so Very true. it wasn't even a question of who did it. It was like, okay, where are we going? Like who we, who we got to go fuck up. Excuse my language, yeah. but yeah, that's no, literally what the whole nation was about. Like who, and, who and who's so, getting it? Who's about to go get it? With all of this going on, with these troops and all this going on right now, and 13 are getting done this way, and we just left them fully armed. So the contingency plan is what? Using our operatives or reinvading to take back over because of, of one human life is lost? Look, when I was researching these different uh, catalytic events like the, the catalytic events of like uh, you know bombers uh, attacking certain ships or certain things being sunk or you know people who drew us into war because this dignitary was killed or assassinated there's these correlating catalytic events that go on what I am seeing is 
most of our infrastructure they want to bring back to the United States because they've built it up to where that now we're getting the contract to grow the opium and the cannabis and all the other plants in the United States, which means that we have to be in a state of war, which means that we have to be a state of control. That control is a medical control that I'm seeing far reaching on everything. I mean, as to the borders and checkpoints and all like that, that's only coming because of the medical quote unquote uh, permissions and digital passports. And now you're not even able to fly unless you're a certain type of citizen. Now you won't be able to fly unless you have a certain medical uh, test or verification. And so there's all of these violations of your civil liberties that have eroded it to where that you can't travel where you want to travel anymore in a nutshell. And so what tells me that this is the exact thing, same things that went on is the infrastructure of the interstate commerce of the interstates. The fact of why we have an interstate is because we learned from Hitler and Nazi Germany that that's how he was able to conquer the nation so quickly is he built infrastructure and roads first. So since the roads were there, that's what the Blitzkrieg was really based upon, the Autobahn and all like that, that they could travel through the whole country effectively. We have that infrastructure in our interstate system in the states now. We have built enough of our stronger cities network up to where that now we're working with the United Nations and other foreign countries where we can subdivide certain regional states to send these commodities back through our military bases, through our control of those regions and those military outposts. The same thing is going on here now, but we're not being told that because that's not the narrative because we're allowed to be lied to. So when I see something go on and they're directing my attention to another country, my first things are, why are they standardizing citizenship to bring those people here? What are those operatives for? Those are some of the best opium growers on the planet. Remember I brought up the Irish? Oh, yep. That's, yep. Makes sense. Do you, I mean, do you see what I was? Okay. That's all I was getting. No, at. that, that makes sense. Yeah. You don't have to explain that more. That makes, that makes complete sense right now too. And it is what it is, you know? So it blessings. is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brethren. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for those of you who give a listen, you know, may blessings. Hey, thank you for dropping way. some knowledge tonight, brother. That was amazing. <laughs> Very blessed. Blessed be as well. Thank you. Oh man. I so appreciate you, brethren. Uh, have a great night. I'm gonna run in here and we'll handle the rest of it another time. Uh, if you guys get a chance, check out the 10, eight podcast. It's great. It's got a lot of good stuff for you there. Also, Canon Movie, Rapture at 420, Canon Movie Answers, The Medical. Also, if you want to look at all the religious freedom stuff throughout the world, Salvation Anointed. Or if you got that daring, bold moment, you can go to IlluminatiNWO.com. Blessed be, and thank you guys so much for all you do.